Hey, hey family. family, I'm Joanna and I'm Shannon and, and we're, we're just ordinary Catholics. Catholics. In the name of the Father and, and the, the Son and, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Hey Jesus, it's us. Thanks for sticking by us as we're trying really hard to focus our attention on you and your Mama Mary, our Mama Mary and her journey towards Bethlehem. Bring us the joy we need if we're feeling too stressed. And continue to remind us what this is all about, because it really is all about you, Lord. We love you. Amen. Amen. Forgot St. Joseph. Yeah, but he wasn't in labor sitting on a donkey and he was quiet. He was fine. He, he had everything under control. I'm sure he was like, what is happening? I've never had to help a woman give birth, especially this woman I don't really know. All right, sorry. Edit it to add Joseph, too. Amen. That's, that's not how it works, but St. Joseph, my man. That sounded weird. All right. Anyway... We thought that we would do a deep dive into some of the traditions that we have all come to know and love during the season yes. of Christmas. <clears throat> I have to say that preparing for today's episode was very educational for me. I didn't really, I've never really taken interest in like, where these things came from or what the history is behind them but reading through I'm thinking holy cow this is amazing like some of these traditions have such insane stories behind them yeah and some of them I was like why do we do this <laughs> <laughs> why don't we start with the most obvious one which is the Christmas tree nice let's hear it so much of the Christmas tree tradition is actually rooted in the understanding of the winter solstice, which is something I think we talked about a couple episodes ago with how Jesus was born on the shortest day of the year and then, or near. Yes, that was in our Holy Days of Obligation. Yes. Podcast. and then, Listen to that one. It's pretty good. Yeah, it is. And then every day after that, the days get a little bit longer. So the solstice happens on like the 21st is the shortest day and the 22nd is the longest night or whatever um <clears throat> so people of all different cultures and religions and regions of the world and different beliefs understood that after the solstice the sun would be out more often and evergreen trees and trees and foliage in general that stayed green all year round were used as a reminder that life triumphs over death and that the sun would be returning from longer from that point on. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of different areas of the world on the solstice, well, I guess in the northern hemisphere anyway, evergreens were used as a symbol of, of life because evergreens are just that. They are green all of the year round. And Christmas trees are evergreen trees. So... The tradition of the Christmas tree started in Germany. So in Pennsylvania in the late 1700s and early 1800s, the Germans had actually brought Christmas trees over to America, but most Americans viewed 
Christmas trees as very pagan symbols. And, well, they actually kind of felt that way about Christmas. Generally. Yeah, Christmas uh, decorations and traditions in general. So they didn't accept them at all. In fact, there were even a lot of laws enacted to fine people for putting up Christmas decorations or for celebrating in any way other than going to a church service. So you could get in serious trouble if you celebrated in in any way, shape, or form. So there's this PBS show that I love, and I'm going to reference it a couple times in today's episode. Okay. Give me a hint. Give you a hint. It's an antique roadshow. No, no. (laughs) Rats. It's a masterpiece. Uh, keep going. It's a oh, is it Downton Abbey? No, nope, but you're getting closer. <laughs> I also watched Downton Abbey. That's the only one I know. It's Victoria. Nope, never heard it. It's excellent. It's excellent. I just finished watching it actually. And they have this Christmas episode, and it's this beautiful episode. And in it, Victoria, Queen Victoria, and Prince Albert walk into their Christmas Eve celebration, and the hall is just decorated gorgeously. And Prince Albert, you see throughout the episode, puts great emphasis on decorating for Christmas and making sure every kid had a tree. And if you don't know, Prince Albert and Queen Victoria had a lot of children. And Prince Albert is German. So there was, and that, that was in the TV show, but in real life, there was actually a sketch of them that was printed in the papers over in the UK. And the US was still very aware of what was happening at English court and Queen Victoria was wildly popular with the people of her country. So when Queen Victoria was pictured in the newspaper in such a public way with a Christmas tree, That is when the rest of the Western world started paying attention and started implementing the tradition of using a Christmas tree. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, and with the invention of electric lights and the use of ornaments, transition from more organic ones to homemade ones to now we buy them in the stores. But there's this whole, like, it's because they celebrated Christmas with a Christmas tree so publicly that we have Christmas trees today. That's really cool. Yeah. I would love to chop down my own Christmas tree. I think that would be so fun. You know, we did that one year. Did you really? Was it horrible? No, it was really fun. Okay. We were, we road tripped all the way from Florida to Wisconsin. Well, you know that trip. Yeah. You made that trip many times. But did you drive back to Florida with a Christmas tree? With two Christmas trees. Oh my. So we visited family for Thanksgiving. We went to a Christmas tree farm, chopped down our own Christmas tree, strapped it to the roof of our minivan. Two of them, one for us and one for my grandma, and we drove it all the way back. I'm sure there was somewhere closer you could have gotten the tree. But it was cool to be in Wisconsin. Did you feel like the family from Christmas vacation with the tree on top of your car? <laughs> Let's burn some dust. Eat my rubber! <laughs> That's one of my favorite Christmas movies. Me too. Well, I'll talk about the wreaths then because, you know, I love recycling. And what I read about a Christmas tree was that it had to be in a triangle shape. That makes sense. Because of the Trinity, to represent the (gasps) Trinity. I did not find that in my resources when I looked it up. But that, I love that. with all of the extra, because trees are not triangular shaped. Sometimes they can be, but... I mean, you really have to do some work to get it into a perfect triangle. So with all of the 
leftover evergreens, um, they would make wreaths. And the word wreath comes from an old English word I'm not even going to try to pronounce, but it means to twist. Hmm. So wreaths have actually been used across cultures, across time, and several religions. In the Persian and the ancient Egyptian times, they would make wreaths out of fabric to wear on their head, and that would signify like a nobility, or Romans would make it out of olive and laurel branches. Those were given to victors of you know, the games. At the end of Ramadan, they have a big feast and they use a wreath as a decoration. The winter solstice, the pagan religions would use a wreath. And Christians adopted the Yule wreath from the pagans in the 16th century. And it was actually a Lutheran priest who was the first one to take that wreath and put the colored liturgical candles around the wreath and call it the Advent wreath. Christmas wreaths symbolize an invitation to Christ and Christmas cheer. The traditional wreath is an evergreen, as you were talking about. Um, evergreen symbolizes a continuous growth, even during seemingly barren times, and also eternal life. Um, the traditional wreaths have red berries to symbolize Christ's blood, the actual wreath, Almost looks like a crown of thorns. Mm, I did not make that connection. Well, there you have it. So I'm going to talk about the Advent calendar next, which is a little bit different than an Advent wreath. So Advent calendars are the things that you see you can buy them at like Aldi, and it's like... 24 pieces of chocolate? For like a dollar. Have you seen the cheese Advent? No. Every day it's a new piece of cheese? Cheese, grommet. <laughs> So this advent calendar we actually also have to thank the Germans for because it was invented by a German man who when he was a little boy, his mother would put out candles as a countdown from 1 to 25 to count down to Christmas. And when he became an adult, he also wanted to do this on a more widespread scale and that's when the countdown advent calendar started but when it first started it wasn't necessarily the pictures with the pop-up boxes with the chocolates underneath it was originally like just candles and then they got more intricate and then they got bigger and they were pictures and all this different stuff uh, a lot of times they would even have bible verses written on the oh, nice. little doors when you'd open them but yeah it counts down the days from december 1st all the way to december 25th that's cool. So and it's not necessarily Advent, because Advent, as we have right. stated, started... Starts before December, usually before December 1st. But yeah, Gerhard Lang. Well, thank the, you, Mr. Lang. We love yeah. the Advent calendar. My kids have done the Lego Advent. Every day they open a different little Lego piece. That's cute. I've never even heard of that. Gingerbread houses are another tradition that we Americans can thank the Germans for. Crusaders from Europe brought back this spicy bread from the Middle East as early as like the 900s. crazy? It tasted great and also the ginger helped preserve the bread. Gingerbread contains ginger, cinnamon, cloves, and nutmeg. Uh, traditional recipes will replace sugar completely and just add honey and molasses. Through the years it has been used for medicinal purposes, nuns used to bake the bread for indigestion in the 1400s. Oh. So the ginger, haven't you ever had ginger ale when your tummy hurts? Yeah. 
And ginger pills when you get altitude sickness. Yeah. When you climb a mountain. Exactly. So gingerbread was used for the same thing. In the 1500s, Elizabeth I, who was the last of the Tudor family, gave out gingerbread people in the shape of her guests at a party. So that is the first documented ginger person. Oh. What a fancy party favor. By the 1600s, gingerbread art was already a practice, but the actual gingerbread house is kind of a chicken and the egg riddle because we all know that story of Hansel and Gretel and how the witch lived in this huge candy house. But the confusion is... Do you think the Grimm brothers got the idea of the gingerbread house from the practice, or was the practice of making the gingerbread houses based on the fairy tale? It would be really creepy if gingerbread houses were based on the fairy tale. I have seen it written both ways, and there's no definitive yay or nay on that one. Oof. So I guess that's just going to be one of life's mysteries to figure Which, out. Hey, yay, yay. Have you seen the giant gingerbread house in uh, the Grand Floridian? Yeah, I've been in it. But that's not made of total gingerbread, is it? No, it's made of a bunch of other stuff, too. And would not recommend eating it. It's, like, sprayed with preservatives. <laughs> but the it's still pretty cool. The Guinness World Record gingerbread house is in somewhere in Texas, and it is made with a literal ton of butter. <laughs> that's disgusting. It gave all the measurements, and I wanted to barf. So Germans, as I said, we can thank the Germans for this. Um, the gingerbread house tradition was brought over to the United States by German immigrants in Pennsylvania. Hmm. But the big question is, why do we only make this at Christmas? Because we have all these ingredients year-round. Do you what? know? No, I don't. It's because well through the 17th century, gingerbread was still considered sacred. Because as I said, it was used by nuns, and even though gingerbread art was a thing, it served a religious purpose in that they would use the gingerbread to make icons. So European royalty decided that the general public were only allowed to make gingerbread at Christmas and Easter. Oh. So I guess some habits are just hard to break. Interesting. There's That's funny because there's cookies... Italian cookies that we're only allowed to make during Christmas and Easter, too. It must be some of the same vein. I wonder if that's, yeah. Personally, I think gingerbread is disgusting. Yeah, I never <laughs> eat it. I don't even think I buy it to decorate it because then I end up wasting it because I won't eat it. <laughs> we do. We'll do the gingerbread men. We will use sugar men instead of gingerbread men. We sometimes will make the houses. But there's tons of recipes on Pinterest to use your leftover gingerbread so you don't have to eat a whole house of gingerbread. You can ground it up and make truffles or sprinkle it over ice cream or milkshake or like pat it into a pie crust. That would be pretty good, actually. That actually does sound like it would be good. Well, maybe you can make yourself a gingerbread house this Probably year. not. <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> the next tradition that I have to talk about is actually kind of two-in-one. All right, let's hear it. So I'll, I'll talk about one first, and then I'll let you talk about another. Okay. And then. So it's caroling. Uh. Yeah, if you listen to our last <laughs> podcast on Christmas traditions that we do, you will hear the horror story of Shannon and I's Christmas caroling experience. <laughs> but this Never one, again. Hashtag never again. Oh, my gosh. Don't be so dramatic. <laughs> 
This tradition also started with the whole winter solstice thing, but carols were actually sung all year round. Uh, carol in and of itself means a dance or a song of praise and joy. That's what the internet says. Nice. Thanks, internet. In the beginning, most carols were pagan until Christmas also began adopting the practice of singing songs. The problem, though, was that most of the songs were in Latin. Big surprise, because right. the mass was also, at that time, only in Latin. So they weren't super popular because people didn't really know how to sing them. Now, I will say there are a couple of Christmas songs, like, I know I mentioned this in a previous podcast, but O Come All Ye Faithful is Adeste Fideles. Yeah. Okay, just want to make sure. Isn't uh, the Gloria? In Excelsis Deo? I was going to sing it, and then I changed my mind, so I just kind of <laughs> said Gloria in a weird way. Yeah, In Excelsis Deo. I think That's it's Latin, also right? Latin too, yeah. So... That is, that's really one of the only Christmas in Latin songs that has aged well, but to be continued. Oh, okay. You can go. All right. Well, I have another tradition that's a love-hate tradition, uh, and that is sending Christmas cards. Oh, boy. Every single year, I say I'm going to pare down my list because who actually wants a picture of, like, random kids and sometimes it's a struggle to get the right shot oh don't i know that now i have strategically become best friends with a photographer (laughs) so i'm not allowed to use that excuse anymore (laughs) i have been known to send out like really bad pictures and just be like i tried my best love shannon There was one year you used the pictures that I took, but you forgot one of your kids' names on it. Yeah, and it said everybody's name and dot, 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 and I had to write it in. One year, I I ordered the prints, but I didn't change the name of oh the sample. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it like the Smiths? It actually said the Jacobsons. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so... It's just, sometimes it just becomes a little bit of an added pressure on my to-do list. I have to address the cards. I feel like I have to get them out at a certain time. But I do love having the memories of even making the cards. I love receiving cards. I love, love, love receiving the cards. So the first recorded Merry Christmas dates all the way back to 1534. And it was from an English Catholic bishop to Thomas Cromwell who served Henry VIII until his head got cut off, surprisingly. Or unsurprisingly, I guess. I was going to say that's not very surprising with his track record. In, uh, sorry. While we say Merry Christmas, a lot of times in the UK you will hear, Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, Harry. I was just going (laughs) to say that. Yeah. Happy Christmas, And that's because the British upper class really clung to that happy instead of merry because merry kind of like indicated like a rowdiness of the lower class. Oh. So happy was a little bit more prestigious. Oh. Yes. Now you'd say it with an accent and you sound very prestigious. Happy Christmas, Harry. Happy Christmas. Here's a sweater. I need myself. (laughs) So let's fast forward to the 1800s before 1840. Post was very expensive. To send mail was very expensive. But printing methods started to improve, and along with the widespread use of the railroads, 
the price of sending mail eventually dropped to a penny and even below. But people really weren't used to sending mail, so they didn't. So then comes in Sir Henry Cole, who was in charge of the post in the UK. And in 1843, he had this idea to get everybody to send mail, or post as they called it, and he collaborated with an artist friend who developed holiday postcards. And they'd have to buy the postcards and then mail them. So I guess you could call him the forefather of the Christmas card. And the 1840s, as you said, were also a time when Prince Albert was introducing Christmas to tradition and having this big celebration. So the timing was really, really great. Over here in the States, somebody named Louis Prang went to study lithography in Europe and he got caught up in the greeting card market and was mass producing them here in the States by 1875. You're chock full of fun I facts am today. Full of fun facts. Annie Oakley. Annie Oakley. She Annie get your gun. She got her gun <laughs> and also sent the very first Christmas picture of herself in 1891. I didn't know that. Well, I didn't either, but that's why I like doing research. Well, you can't get a man with a gun. <laughs> she went on a vacation to Scotland, took a picture of herself, sent it to her family. That's really sweet. Mm -hmm. In the 1900s, a couple of brothers, their names were Raleigh, Joyce, and William Hall, founded the Hall Brothers Company, and they were responsible for the folded card into an envelope because they thought that you couldn't write enough information on a postcard. Oh. Does that sound familiar? Hall Brothers? Hallmark? Yeah. <gasps> oh my goodness. You just blew my mind, actually. Yeah. What? They were actually brothers, three of them. So, thank you. By the 1960s, thanks to Kodak. You know what Kodak? Of course I know Film. what Kodak is. Yeah. Personal holiday photos made their way into the cards. And that evolved through the 80s with that pressed foil giant card with the messages on it oh my gosh I remember my mom trying to pose us all over the house like one year we were hanging from a tree one year she tried to fit all six of us onto a piano bench and oh just to gosh. get these pictures and then to have them developed only to look at the whole entire roll of outtakes <laughs> that's what I always think of maybe that's why I'm so stressed about it so thank you lord for making somebody smart enough to invent digital cameras because we don't have to wait on that. Yeah, so I go back and forth every year between like a very beautiful professional shot and like let's just send these out. We tried our best. And uh, yeah, I remember, I think it was last year, we hadn't coordinated for when we were going to take your family photos or your Christmas photos and I got your Christmas card and I was like, <gasps> Well, okay, what because is this? we were she in Georgia. She took her Christmas pictures without me. We were I mean, in Georgia. I'm not, I'm not really upset. And it was. But. <laughs> we were in Georgia, and they were just dressed so nicely for church. The no, lighting was great. So I just said, they let's go outside so and take cute. a picture. And there was a flash sale on the computer. So I, I just got it done. No, it was so cute. But I did remember opening the card and being like, what is this? Surprise! It's Happy fine. Christmas, Joanna. All of your Christmas cards are still on my fridge. Aw, thanks. Well, I'll send you another one this year. Okay. It better be the picture that I take. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I don't I'll care. try my best. <laughs> and then, of course, we have the Christmas letter. 
There are uh, a handful uh, <laughs> of oh, faithful geez. letter writers that I get in the mail each year. And I am not exaggerating that reading these letters are my absolute favorite tradition. Really? If we do not get the letter, I'm like, where is the letter from that one? Yes, I love it. I mean, I would never send one myself, obviously. <laughs> it would be more than one page. But I look forward to reading them. And the letters my family gets ranges from very sweet to like super braggadocious, but I like really wouldn't have it any other way. And I really appreciate the ones who go out of their way to include like all of the real life mess. Um, and I know that the letters come from a place of love, even the ones that are this perfect snapshot that show, they just show people were thinking of me and love me enough to share a piece of their life with me. Maybe I'll have to start thinking about the letters like that. I don't really get a whole lot of Christmas I don't get a lot of them, letters. But... but I don't know. I remember getting them as a kid and being like, I don't have time to read this. And oh, no, not me. feeling a little bit guilty about it. Every time I go to my parents, I'm like, did so-and-so send you the letter yet? Aww, <laughs> I love it. I love cute. it. That's cute. So the USPS says that 1.3 billion Christmas cards are mailed each year. And 43% of one person's personal correspondence come in the form of Christmas cards. Wow. Last year, December 16th, was the busiest day of the year for postal service. So if you want your card to come by Christmas, make sure to send it before then. And you know me in recycling. That's a lot of trash. There's tons of things on the internet that tell you how to repurpose your cards into decorations. And St. Jude will even recycle some greeting card faces. So there are places that can recycle your greeting cards. Cool. Love it. We're going to jump backwards to finish up the caroling bit. Because as I was researching the tradition of caroling, I stumbled upon this other tradition and I was like, we have to talk about this. And it kind of goes hand in hand with the caroling. So time goes on from when Christmas carols originated. And our guy, St. Francis of Assisi, you may know him as like the wolf tamer, the animal saint, but he is the first one who started live nativity scenes. And he went on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and he thought to himself, like people don't understand the gravity of the situation of the way that Jesus was born and like the conditions that he was born into. We have to find some way to show them what it was really like. So that inspired what are called nativity plays or like live nativity scenes. Oh yeah, those are the best. Yeah, so this was when the first nativities were really put together. So St. Francis had to get permission from the Pope to put it on and that was back in 1223. And he thought that it was important then rather than just hearing about it in scripture that people see what was going on. So a ton of people came out to see this whole live nativity scene. He did it in a cave. He used cool. real animals. He reenacted the liber It was crazy. And during the whole thing, they started singing. And afterwards, St. Francis preached about the good news of Jesus and how he came in the form of a helpless baby. And singing was a part of the whole nativity thing. So if we fast forward a bit from there, again, to when all the Christmas traditions were banned, people still sung Christmas carols, but they had to do it in secret until, again, our girl Queen Victoria and mm -hmm. Prince Albert. Uh, so this has just happened in the Victorian era 
when a couple of Englishmen started gathering up Christmas music from all over England and all the Christmas carols that were being sung and they put it in a book. And they actually started printing the book and oh, sharing cool. the book. Yeah, and that's why so many of the Christmas carols have such an English vibe to them. Yeah. Because that was the first, like... Collection. Collection of Christmas carols. Cool. This last one that I have is about mistletoe, and it is actually not, like, jolly or happy at all. It's it's actually um, a parasite. What? Yeah, to the tree. <laughs> And it's poisonous to us humans. <laughs> and how the heck did this end up as a Christmas decoration? And why do we kiss under it? Who knows? That part is super duper gray. I don't get it. So the ancient Druids and Romans did consider mistletoe to contain romantic powers. And they hung it in their doorway, burned it, used it to increase fertility in their animals. <laughs> And there might be, there's a maybe origin story about the Norse god Baldr, who is the son of Odin, and his mother Frigg was the goddess of fertility. She tried to protect Baldr from death by asking all the things in the cosmos, whether they were living or inanimate, to declare an oath not to harm her son. But... For some reason, she didn't ask the mistletoe because it was like young and small and innocent and it only lived on the tree. It couldn't live by itself. Um, and so Loki, who's the god of like trickery. Yeah, love him. Yeah, he found this out. Well, he killed Balder with the oh. mistletoe. <laughs> Say well, it again that you love him, sorry, Joanna. <laughs> I love the Tom Hiddleston version of him in the new Marvel movie. He wrapped his spear in mistletoe and killed Balder with it. Then Frigg made mistletoe promise that it would never again do an uncharitable deed and it would have to be in charge of all the acts of happiness and usefulness. And uh, <laughs> I know some versions of the story will go on to try to link the, the why do we kiss under the mistletoe part, but that's not part of the canon of the traditional story. So then we go fast forwarding into the early 1700s and a ton of research is done on the mistletoe for medicinal purposes. And there is nowhere in the whole entire study that says anything about the kissing part. So, but then something must have happened in the next few decades because it's nowhere written down, but it goes from the study in the early 1700s to the late 1700s, Charles Dickens, mentions the tradition of kissing under the mistletoe in the Pickwick Papers and also in the Christmas Carol. And also it was in another song already. Washington Irving also included it in his works. And I guess up until the 19th century, there wasn't really a widespread use of Christmas decorations. Maybe the mistletoe was just used because it was green all year round. Um, but I just kind of drew the conclusion that this is a situation where art is just imitating life, imitating art. And the bottom line is, you don't really have to kiss anybody under the mistletoe. I don't know. I don't really do the whole mistletoe thing. Yeah, but... But what a cool backstory, Charles Dickens did, and I do like the Christmas Carol. I do, too. This is true. I like the Muppet Christmas Carol. That's my favorite. Me, fave. too. Me, too. It's my favorite version. other fun Christmas traditions or origins of Christmas traditions, 
we would love to hear about them. So let us know on Instagram at an ordinary Catholic. We hope you're having a wonderful Advent season and you are able to find the joy this week. We are praying for you. Please pray for us and, and we'll, we'll see you in, in our prayers. prayers.